Role Playing Public Radio, RPPR episode 80, Good Clean Fight. This is Ross <laughs> Payton, and with me, as always, my co-host, Dom Church. Nope, that, that voice was different somehow. You, you altered the announcer voice somehow. I'm always perfecting and fine-tuning the per- it's, it's, announcer it, voice. It seems like you're trying to talk deeply from your throat this time. But, not, I, but while not taking a breath, I'm always trying to up my craft, Tom. I'm not. Well, you're like not. You're some. Not, well, you're not going up. Like some co-hosts, I'm not wanting just ready to be stagnant and just be okay with what I'm doing. Oh, what, should I what, should I change it up too or something? Well, I'm just saying. Like, oh, hello, Roast Ross. Top of the morning to you. You having fun? See, now you're not even trying. You're just you're just making fun of the whole practice and. Making better improvement. Anyways, we, we should get on with the episode. This episode is going to be about combat and how to... Uh, uh, and just, oh, Ross and I were fighting at that point. Yes. It's a form of combat. Con- well, we're not talking about social combat or social conflict. We're talking about actual The actual combat. good old violent kind. Yeah, the kind where you try to make the other person... Not live. Have to rely on Obamacare. <laughs> oh, whoa! In the in the brutal dystopian future that is the social. When like, it's like when healing is free. Yes. No more paying the clerics to heal your body this time. <laughs> Freaking, you know, church entitlement program. Obamacare and D and D. That. Yeah, healing potions for all. Anyway, uh, so in this episode, we're talking about fighting. Uh, combat, how to focus on it, how to make them interesting, what make what's a bad fight, what's a good fight. Because I'm sure, yeah. like any any Ronin who's role played has had both. You've had a really cool fight, and you've had the fight that just rolls like an egg. It's excruciating. Yeah. So I mean, what what? Yeah. But anyways, uh, first off, I do want to get <clears> the news out of uh, the out of the way, and that would of course be Base Raiders, the RPPR Kickstarter for the He's Super Ross, Powered Ross Thunder is Fall. so proud of you. Yes. You made it a success. Yes, it is officially funded. We are at now nine thousand five hundred sixty dollars as of this taping. As of this recording, I'm pretty sure by the time it goes out, we're going to be at twenty eight thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just going to shoot up. Uh, it, all the ce- secret celebrity RPPR listeners. <laughs> out there just gonna uh make it a huge because <laughs> yes, the coke brothers are listening as we speak well, <laughs> i was like i love this guy well i mean you know the the, the michelle Obama's is one of our listeners and yeah. uh, and uh, and john boehner and all those other people and uh so the, the secret george media soros. Like john stewart stephen colbert obviously yeah. big george soros george soros so um bill gates <laughs> anyway um so the the we're at the third stretch goal right now for the the project was which is uh, we now have stretch uh, there will be conversion guides for <coughs> wild talents mutants and masterminds and savage worlds after the main game is released so the main game uh, uh, again the plan is to have it printed in uh, in July so I can send it out to everybody uh, and of course have the PDF sent out to everybody and all the backers. And then after that, I will get started on the conversion guide. Um, I want to make sure I get the actual game out before I get the conversion guide started. I have had offers of help from some people so to help fine-tune make the rules. So I'll try to get those pretty quickly after the main game is out. But the next uh, stretch goal at $11,000, which I think we can make because we have, you know, uh, a couple weeks. It'll be November 24th before the Kickstarter ends. So we've got some time, uh, and that will be the Zombie Factory, a new chapter for the book, which will be a, a base. Actually, it's a base on the front cover. Um, the, the you've seen the front cover, Tom, with the, I have, the big and, scary um, zombie monster Hulk thing, and the. Uh, and I'll tell you my first reaction: gasp, zombies. 
that is so new. Who would have thought that I know I, you of all people? And I really made the most original thing of making them on you know superhero zombies. So you can find out the real story behind the zombie factory. Wait, tell me one thing: that okay. zombie's not actually attacking them, but it's bit. It's offering them a delicious sandwich or something, right? Um, yeah, sure, Tom. We'll, we'll that's how I'm going to write it in my journal. Okay, well, you like, do that. Dear diary, this, uh, that zombie is like totally not dead. And if we do get to 18,000, uh, which is still possible, we Caleb will uh, release Leviathan Prison, as, or we'll put Leviathan Prison, which has been featured in the Heroes of New Arcadia campaign, uh, as a separate, as a new base. And so there's a lot of content to be added on the stretch goals now. If we, I don't, we don't meet those stretch goals. I mean, I still have that content outlined or ready to go, so we can do, I think, I, I, my plan right now is after we get this done, we'll do at least one or two Kickstarters for supplements for base raiders. Uh, sometime down the line, obviously after the main game is out or nearly out. So uh, supplements, including like power sources for characters, for player characters, sure. more bases, obviously. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just see what kind of reception base raiders gets in the role-playing game community. So, so we answer this question. Like, so who would, so who would control those super formulas? Would it be the FDA? Well, I actually talk, I actually posted an excerpt from the main book talking a little about super soldier drugs, which is what they sort of categorize any sort of chemical or drug power source, you know, something that gives you super powers. And the way I have it structured in the book is there are six main formula families, you know, and every there there are hundreds of hundreds of super soldier drugs, but each one of them is almost always a variation on one of the six main formulas. And uh, they're all basically extremely illegal. Uh, and even during the Cold War, not before the superheroes and villains disappeared, uh, they were even banned for military use, although there were, of course, unofficial. Because militaries never do any illegal things. Yeah, exactly. So uh, because they were afraid of, you know, s- arms races and they thought more superhumans were bad, even, you know, so it was better to have a few vigilantes and villains running around rather than you know, legions of super soldiers, uh, because that would just be bad for society. So, uh, they're th- weak, need liberal whining. <laughs> yes, yeah, <what>. exactly. <laughs> so the way I had, I set up in base raiders right now, is, uh, since all the heroes and villains are gone, some pharmaceutical co- companies and con- defense contracts are beginning to lobby Congress, everything like, Hey, let's make these legal for special use. You know, we can use these super soldier drugs for good, you know, and profit and <laughs> which are, cause when you bring profit into it, everything's not, Nice and fair and balanced. Uh, so that, that's an excerpt on the on the Base Raiders website that you can read, talking nice. a little bit about those drugs. Uh, and I described two of the main two of the, the six formulas. And so yeah, we're, we're sort of uh, uh, you know I'm I'm working on on the book right now, obviously, and uh, we I'm very excited about it. So that's sort of the Base Raiders update. And uh, if you have any questions about it, feel free to post them on the Kickstarter or on the forums or wherever or the Facebook group. And I'll uh, get them answered. So um, I think that kind of covers the uh, the news. It's good news. So yeah, exactly. Thank you again, everyone who's back the project. Uh, I am very uh, just. It, it's really revol- good knowing internet strangers really like me. <laughs> it's like, when the when the revolution comes, Ross will spare you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, keep that in mind. Anyways, so combat. Uh, combat's you know really the the heart of almost yeah, every RPG. It really is. It's that's I've, usually that's usually in every role playing supplement book I've ever seen. That's the longest chapter. Yeah, 
I mean, to be fair, even if you're not doing a combat-heavy game, that's the most complex type of conflict you can do, usually. Mm-hmm. So they, it deserves and the most rules. because, And it's what most role players are really looking for, because most of what they want I to mean, do... You can, most, most role players are trying to, in some way, do something more fanciful than their average day-to-day life. Well, not in horror games. Then it's like, oh, God, why am I well, here? I said, well, I said in most. <laughs> and that's and they want to be badasses. Yeah, well, very few people, very few people want just eagerly want to be a scared human who's devoured by some thing beyond space, which is why our group's so awesome. <laughs> it's loaded with people that have no problem with that. Uh, well, I think the thing is with combat, it's also one of the heart. Uh, it's uh, I, I think it, it's not just that. I mean, that's certainly a part of it. It's also because you go back to role playing games roots. And you, hey, it, they can't. Role playing games are from uh, uh, the rules for those came from war games originally. So you, and the culture came from war gaming culture. Uh, I mean, and then the other the other side of it is that you know role playing games are almost always based on uh, genre fiction. That is, you know, what what do we have? Fantasy, mm-hmm. science fiction, military. And horror spies. and spies, uh, well, espionage, spycraft, know, thrillers. Okay, mm-hmm. but I mean, really, the mainstays are sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. I mean, especially fantasy. You know? Yeah. And what are the 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 heart of all those stories? I mean, combat. Fighting. I mean, yeah, fighting. I mean, because you Lord of the Rings. I mean, yeah, sure. They page count is probably not as much as you know the D and D campaign, but you can't have Lord of the Rings without fight scenes, without battle scenes. So that's just you know. Let's it, be honest. That'd be awfully boring. Right. So there's there's uh a lot to be said. It's it's kind of in the DNA of everything that makes up role playing games. So But I would also say like most DNA, you can, it can occasionally get damaged and become cancer. Okay. Well, <laughs> you yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah, I told uh, you. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, the thing the, the problem bad with combat. combat yeah, yeah, the bad combat, the cancerous combat if we're going to call it that is the, the there's sort of two extremes that you often see in tabletop games, especially in bad con games or in. And I can assure you, yeah. we've Ross and I have seen both. I've been in games like so that. have I. Yeah, uh, and the first one is you know the Final Fantasy eight bit syndrome where there's you and then there's your enemy. Yeah, they're somewhere on the terrain. Yeah, and <laughs> and it's literally the terrain. It's yeah. just this abstract. You swing thing. your sword or shoot your spell. Or even the guns, like I shoot him, he shoots me. You know, you can. Yeah, but because uh, because most combat, go, most actual fights go like that. You're standing up, you know, in the yeah. middle uh, in this open area, shooting until one, one of you falls down. Oh, I got shot for 18 damage points in my spleen. You know, like well, it's a good thing I had armor on, so it did not do as much damage. Yeah. So there's that. So that that's I think you see that a lot. Even in 3.5, like even in third ed and fourth ed D and D, a lot of times what you see is even when they have the tactical grid, you know, mm. and the map and the miniatures out, what happens is like everyone people start on this side and yeah. the other people start on this side and then they move into the middle and then they never fucking move after that. Yeah, unless there's a and uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, I don't yeah they just do it until one side just dies because no because. That's why I think you're so beautiful with your combats, Ross. You know what they do sometimes? What? Sometimes when you have like the, when the bad guys are losing, yeah, they withdraw. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, they actually retreat. Yeah. How insane is that? I know it's because weird. when one side is in a pitched combat and realize their the advantage has been lost, you know, 
most armies never just that most armies just say never mind we're men we go forward <laughs> we, <find laughs> we, we suffered 80 percent casualties but i think we can take them 80 is not 100 <laughs> that's right <laughs> 20 percent land i think i've got I, I got I think we got it in us i think I, we, we i think we we tired them out I, I i think even orcs would realize hey you know we're getting our butts kicked here yeah i think we should go um so but yeah that, it's essentially yeah it's just there it's just a cluster in the center of the map and it's yeah. just I it's very static it's very static i mean there's very little movement very little um of the sort of the fluid chaos that you would see in really good fight scenes or uh so that that's one in extreme but on the other so you know it, to remedy that a lot of game systems have come up with what they call cinematic combat mm, rules flair flair stunts um and there's also you know a lot of variants uh, subsystems and new rules Style and order and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that kind of thing um and you know like iron heroes which we I, i've been running lately you have the stunt mechanic where you describe what your character does sort of a freeform thing and then you you roll for it and the problem i think the thing is uh, what I'm beginning to see now a little bit is, is you can go too far with that. I mean, it's good to add complete, some interest to combat, but combat can get so complex that it bogs down and just falls apart and becomes this incoherent mess. I mean, say what you want about the 8-bit fight. You're here, he's there, and you whack away until someone's hit points are zero. But at least you know what everything is, what's mm-hmm. going on. But if you're like, I jump over his head and then spin around and do a cool backflip, and then I pull my gun out and I say a one-liner, I put my sunglasses on, and then I, you know, uh, uh, do the splits, and then I... Eventually the yeah. GM's kind of like, oh, whoa, 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 slow down. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the problem with the stunt thing is, I want to. I attack him, but I twist my sword around, and I uh, uh, really make it hurt. Do I get okay? So do I? I get plus ten damage for that, right? You know, there's like, so you want to stab him, but you want to do it better. Like, <laughs> basically, like, I'd like to do more damage than I actually do. Yeah, without any penalty, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's the other problem with a lot of. I see a lot of times with cinematic combat rules are the kind of I want something for nothing or I want to be super badass and I don't I just want to win. Where's the I win button? Mm-hmm. You know, so the question is how do you make fights that are good, that are between those two extremes, you know, and where you know not not just not just graph paper and not every movie you've ever seen. Yeah, well and another thing about the incoherent mass, it may not be, you know, people min maxing or, you know, trying to squeeze out as much benefit as they can out of the the stunt rules while ignoring the spirit of the stunt mm-hmm. rules. The other, the other part of the incoherent mess is literally just bogged down and you can't understand what the fuck's going basically, on. Basically it's bogged down with flair. Well, no, I, I, I think uh, like Phoenix command is the ultimate example, but you know, where you have windage and shit like that. But like a lot of RPGs, you know, you just get bogged down. Like, uh, I don't know what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we run into that with new systems like eclipse phase that happened, you know, especially early on before we really got into it. Right. Uh, even in, and in that, and in fourth ed that happens, especially towards Epic, you know, when you have a shitload of dailies and abilities and blah, 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 and blah. It is. And people were, they were bringing in index cards that had all their abilities and what they yeah. did on them. Um, and I mean, it wasn't so bad up until, Epic tier, I think. So maybe high Paragon, you know, but yeah, I don't know, but it's all, I mean, yeah, with, I think it's all, you know, the thing with another thing with combat is, you know, you kind of have to make it, I think it's, you know, it should be a goal to try to make it where it's not where you just wait until your turn comes up again. 
That's true too. That's another, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I see that a lot, even at the RPPR table where people just, if it's not their turn, they don't pay attention, you know, uh, and they don't give a fuck I what mean, happens. I think everyone's guilty. Yeah. But I think during some games it was worse. I think during the later stuff of the uh, New Arcadia game, not New Arcadia, uh, New World. New World. Thank you. Yeah. New World. That was especially like those How could you huge get those fights. Mixed up, Tom. They're so different. So different. Yeah, I know. But you know, just be, <laughs> but they're so. Guy. I mean, the, really, like, people were just you know just waiting for their turn and. Yeah. At one point, no, at one point the, most the, of the players were doing that. Yeah. Especially, you know, the, the again, I think of the Lich fight, you know, mm-hmm. at the very the last fight we actually did in the New World campaign where the Lich had a fucking thousand hit points and you guys were just doing, you know, fifty hits. I mean it's eventually eventually fights like that, it it can become just a grind. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely does. And there's really nothing you can do about that. No. Other than just, you know, sit and suffering. So that's that's sort of the problem. Uh, so that's a, that. Uh, so that's another problem too. Is boredom? How do you keep everyone engaged? So, um, in general, I think the best fights ha- have to occupy a sweet spot in not ju- in, in in every area. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's in, in uh, the amount of rules. Like you can't be too simple and you can't be too complex. Uh, in the type of enemies you have. Mm-hmm. and the terrain and sort of what I like to call the theme of the fight, which I'm going to just not. And by theme, I'm not meaning like this is about love <laughs> or this is about honor. This is about 19th century colonialism or, and, uh, or night. was it 18th century Prussian agriculture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what by theme, I really mean more like the tactical concept. What is the, what is, you know, in video games, there's always that stage. that's like, designed to show you some new game mechanic, you know, mm-hmm. like that's so like, I think good RP tabletop RPG fights have a tactical concept. Yeah. It puts me in mind of, uh, I think, I believe it was, Oh, was it like half life too? Like, look, we have like, look, we have a fix, a physics engine. Yeah. And we're going to make you use it. Okay. Well, they have half life two. Half life two is actually uh, just got really phenomenal. And half life one, they both have really great level. They have really great design. Cause I mean, yeah, they, they show you the physics engine, but that's, because they show you, they teach you this lesson, and then later on you have to apply it, and then you, they make you combine stuff. I mean, all the Valve games are really good about that, and that's actually you could learn a lot from Valve's game design and apply it to your tabletop games. Because uh, you know, in Portal, they show you this one basic concept, and then they say, "Okay, here's concept A and here's concept B, and now you have to apply both of them, and then learn an entirely new concept all at once." And there's know? a potato. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Like, so the tactical concept, what is a tactical concept? For me, like, the easiest one is boss fight. Yeah. Everyone knows what a boss, when I say boss fight, you, what do you think, Tom? Big bad, the big bad thing suddenly showing up. So how is that different from a normal fight? Usually it's, usually it's in, well, first of all, the number of things you have to work, you have to fight. Yeah. Occasionally a boss will have little minions too. Yeah. But those minions aren't going to be super No, bad. it's basically, you think is like, okay, this is like, first of all, you, first thing I think is, all right, this is the end of this section. Yeah. This is basically like everything's led up to this. Yeah. For the, like the last adventure. So here's where we here's where we finish it out. And it's usually something bigger than us. Yeah. Something that one of us cannot possibly take on alone. Yeah. So it's something we actually have to have the whole group for. So yeah, so now there's a new lesson. You teamwork takes a mm-hmm. this is emphasizing teamwork. Which I have discovered a lot sometimes our group isn't very good at that. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. I'm I'm being sometimes. Ge- so I'm being generous. <laughs> 
All right. I'm being really generous. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, the so yeah. So the boss fight has its own unique tactical concept, and it it makes a memorable fight yeah. when it's done right. Now, obviously, that can be if you don't do it right, a boss fight can still suck. If it's like sacko hit points, like oh, we have to whittle away. Where it, you can actually tell that. Like, you know, it can't inflict that much damage on you, but it has, like, a thousand hit points. Yeah. When you realize, you're like, oh, good God. And you can actually, I think that's where some of the boredom sometimes comes from for those really long fights. Yeah. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, can we just kill it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, you play a game of Monopoly, and you realize that fucker who got Boardwalk and Parkway, he's going to win because he landed on But it's on not going to happen right away. It's going to take fucking forever to grind away. When he finally gets when he finally gets enough money to build up the houses. Yeah, and then he's and just going to And then you're just waiting for someone to land on. Yeah, who's going to fall on the executioner's block first? So, uh that so that that's kind of the, the the thing that so that that's a crappy boss fight. And the other thing is like, okay, I'm going to have all these awesome gimmicks for this boss fight. And then it's like, all right, Here's what, hey, blah, 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 blah. And then the players are like, wait, okay, so he turns purple, but he had his, he, the, the room temperature hasn't dropped yet. So his ice breath isn't active yet. But wait, his blood is, is it poison yet? You know, it's like you're trying to make it mm-hmm. some video game boss fight where there's too many phases involved and they get confused by it. So, I mean, I don't, don't see ever that do that, yeah. GM. Seriously, don't. Or actually, what, what, what actually, that, so that doesn't really happen. Well, I like the idea of phases in a boss mm-hmm. fight. I mean, but not just, it changes color. Actually, what I, what I really see in tabletop RPG, especially D&D ones, is like status effects. And too many active spells going on, like, like in third ed, it's really bad. Where in, especially three point five, when like epic level foes would like he has bull strength, owl's wisdom, resistance to energy, all mm-hmm. twenty uh, protection versus go, go, you know good superior, you know blah 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 contingency spells, you know all this other bullshit, you know like twenty spells active on them. And you're like, God damn, how the fuck am I going to keep track of all this shit? Mm-hmm. So that so that's the other end of the boss fight. So but. That's a tactical concept. So that's the first step in making a good fight is come up with a good tactical concept. So what are some other tactical concepts? I think have? one is the uh, the like fighting the environment. Okay. I think that's one. That's like the floor is lava, or you are on a sinking ship at the time. Okay. Or like a or like a howling a howling blizzard. Okay. So yeah, I think you know the tactical concept sort of informs you like what you need to emphasize. Obviously, the terrain. Mm-hmm. That's the whole yeah. point of this. Actually, may, like, may I may I bring up a video game? Yeah, Mass Effect Two. Yeah. There's one. Yeah, there's one level where there's you're on a planet where you know the sun has actually kind of gone partially red giant, so it's bombarding the planet. The magnetosphere is gone, yeah. so direct sunlight actually causes shields to fizzle out. Yeah, but you know there's plenty. There's you know so they actually, the game actually uses the level where you have to go for like there's areas of shade, but if you're out in the open, your shields are dropping and makes you. But it works for the enemy too. Right. So you can actually sometimes lure them out into the sunlight, which makes them easier to kill, but then you are affected as well. All right. I think it's like fighting the environment. So with that, like the thing, the, the, the first the thing I really keep in mind with the tactical concept is that you one strong idea is a lot better than three kind of end mm-hmm. ideas. So if you have a really strong idea, like I like that idea of like the radiation coming and affecting your defensive ability. So you could do that in a superhero game easily, you know, like you're in a mad scientist layer and there's some damaged reactor that's pulsating yeah. on an irregular basis. And every third round it pulses and then all your superpowers don't work. So every third round you lose your powers, you know. So like that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. So but if you try to combine that with another concept, that's really tricky to do. So like if you do it like that <coughs> and a boss fight, that's gonna be really hard to do 
Not but, impossible, but it, yeah. But it would certainly if it was. But that would make it a memorable fight. So if I was, it would either be a boss fight or just the environment. What I wouldn't do is make it to where the tactical concept is like unusual enemies. You know, like. Uh, one common thing is like twins that fight in some duel or mirrored style mm-hmm. or like some exotic weapon master who's got some sort of unique gimmick. You know, he's unbeatable except for one Achilles heel. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. So like I would not combine those two together. So if there's some guy who's invincible except for one specific weakness, you know, he can reflect everything you do except one type of attack. And then I don't like those in video games. They can be OK if it's short enough. Like you only have to hit them once. If, it, if, if it's if it's really like a puzzle and you're like, oh, I figure it out. Zap. He's dead. You know, not if you like, oh, I figure out now I have to hit him 10 times. You know, like mm-hmm. that would suck. But if you had to hit him once, that'd be fine as a single fight. You know, yeah. Puzzling puzzles and combat's kind of interesting. It's a, it's an interesting. Concept. Like you know, shadows shadow of the colossus. Yeah, where it's basically it's you have to, you're fighting them, but first you have to figure out how. Right. I mean that's yeah. If you're yeah, it's definitely a good tac- concept. The idea of a uh, giant. It's basically your fight. You are literally fighting the terrain. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the creature is the terrain. Yeah. So so again, so the first thing to tackle just one strong idea. Not don't don't just let them focus on one thing at a time. So either focus, like if you're, so if you're doing an environmental fight, just have them fight generic foes. You know, they're just mm-hmm. guys with guns or the typical kind of foe that they've been fighting for the campaign. Uh, and so that's what makes it, you know, make it a tougher fight, you know, mm-hmm. so they have to use the terrain to their advantage if they want to survive or if they want to do well, but you get the idea. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, another type of fight again, like I was just mentioning is either the puzzle fight, you know, which is the guys invincible for, except for one weakness, or uh, the other one is the like what I like doing is something that's atypical, you know, like a guy well, or actually one of the fights uh, would be the mini boss fight where I like the idea of um, the the boss's right hand man showing up and he's, mm-hmm. you know, like Jaws from James Bond or something like sure. that. someone with an unusual fighting style. And he isn't quite bad at bad enough to fight everybody at once, but he's got a gaggle of goons with him. And he's there to win. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not there for theatrics or whatever. The players, he just shows up and just starts beating on the players. So that's another one I like. So, okay, so that's the first thing is, like, coming up with a good concept and sticking with that, not getting too um, too cute with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then the other thing is, like, what kind of enemy? How, how much, you know, who are they fighting, really? And obviously that kind of depends on, you know. The, the game and the system. The, the game and the, yeah, the system. But... I think there are sort of absolute limits. Like a fight, I don't think should last, except unless it's been built up for the campaign, it shouldn't last more than two hours of real time. Yeah, I don't know. Most movies shouldn't do that either. So, right. Because it's essentially, it's, it, a lot of it is keeping your attention. Yeah. And let's be honest, everyone has a certain limited attention span. Yeah. And eventually, you are going to, like, when you see other books being brought out, yeah. or and now cell phones being brought out, you kind of like you know you're you're kind of losing them. Yeah, I mean, I think you can violate that rule. Like, I mean, the, so the thing you have to think about is, all right, if it ta- if I have five players, each player takes five minutes, you know, then and I take ten minutes to do a turn, so that's twenty five thirty five minutes, you know, mm. or let's just say there's four players, so it's thirty minutes per turn. So how many turns of combat can I do? And so uh, that player, so any individual player is only going to get 10 minutes of action or two actions in an hour of real time. 
So you have to think about like what they can do. So you, again, you don't want like fights that last forever. You know, that's one of the reasons I think why we keep going back to call Cthulhu is the fights, you know, they, they're the thing is there's no hit point inflation. You know, there's no thousand hit point. If there's a thousand hit point monster, you're, you're not, not winning. Yeah. You're not winning, but the bad guys all have like, they can take one or two gunshots, you know, they're, they're, you know, or depending if, on what gun you're using. Yeah. Uh, or if you roll really badly, you know, and then, but they only have 10, 18 hit points at most. So like a gun that does two D six or even one D 10 is going to take them out in a couple of shots. So you can really, you know, have a meaningful fight where well, the players, one involved. that comes to mind, uh, yeah. night master, the, hotep, the, uh, the siege, the siege of that, uh, siege of that temple in, uh, in Egypt. Yeah. It was a huge fight, but we were facing guys with guns. Yeah. And then one, like one supernatural thing. Yeah. But the thing is, though, but it was going quickly. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. So you have to think about like how. Because long, yeah. most actual combat's pretty quick. Yeah. Well, it depends on the circumstances. Like, it, it, yeah. But a skirmish is usually very fast. Well, I mean, it, it all depends on context. Mm. Like, like a street fight, yes, very, very quick. You know, a minute. You know, if, if you're talking about if you're talking about a military conflict, like you, you have to think about the historical period, and like then you have things like uh, like in today in Afghanistan or in Iraq or someplace like that, some security forces come against some insurgents. How long is that fight? Well, the initial gunfight where they're shooting mm. at each other, maybe a few minutes, but then they spend hours like maneuvering and maneuvering around, trying to figure out where they are, and then followed by a few minutes of bloodshed, you know. So as opposed to like Napoleonic era, how long does the fight last? Fucking forever, you know, and a day. Because mm. you're like, eh, it takes five minutes to load your gun, shoot, and then load your gun. So hope yeah. you don't get killed. Yeah. And here's the other thing, like yeah. you know, I think, you know. Normal combat can be a can be a bitch, but how about mass combat? Mass combat, yeah, that's never hasn't been really handled very well, uh, except for a few RPGs. Because it's it's a big it's in real life is usually a big chaotic mess. Right. You really, they, I mean, there there have been whole games ad, attempting to answer that question. I mean, like Rain, mm-hmm. the fantasy one roll engine game, uh, and then you know, but the, yeah, but you know, I remember like in Braveheart where it shows yeah. that like yeah. There's tactics and planning and preparation before, but once the two armies hit each other, yeah. it's just you kill whoever's in front of you yeah. and try not to get killed. Yeah. That's and, really it. Yeah, it, and it is. And if, you, if you're talking about you know role-playing games, again, like mass combat is a, is a huge problem, and you really need to come up with some sort of specialized solution for that. There, there are mm. several of them, you know, and— Because I think— uh, yeah, with that's ma- something that's beyond the scope of this. You know? I know, but I just think you know, mass combat. You do have to have to eventually just you know bring it down and focus right. on your pl- players and what they're doing. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, every, uh, I mean, the whole point of a role playing game is to what are these characters doing and what what what's so interesting about them. Um, I think the thing is though, like you have to think. All right, if a, a normal fight should be two hours most, and you're only in two hours. How many turns of combat is that going to be? You know, four, five hours mm-hmm. at most. So. You need characters that can achieve their victory conditions or lose. That's another thing about the tackle concept, the, the, the victory condition. How do they win or how do they lose the fight? And it's not always just kill all the bad guys or capture all the bad guys. You know? uh, even in a lot of games, they actually give like, you know, if you get him down to this many hit points, he will surrender or he will, they will attempt to right. flee. Well, or like in the, uh, you know, you're talking about the sinking ship fight. This, mm-hmm. the, the, the victory condition isn't killing the bad guys. It's, it's getting it's off getting, the ship. It's getting to the lifeboat. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm on the lifeboat. I cut the ropes. See, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's how you do good it. Lo- yeah. Good luck treading water. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so that that's how you win the fight. That's how you lose the fight. And that's um, uh, so you have to think about that. So how long, how hard is it for the players to to win or lose? Mm-hmm. Um, and how long would it take them to win or lose? How long are they going to wait until they know? Like you don't want the monopoly thing. We're like, oh. Our NPC's dead, but there's 50 more guys that we were supposed to guard is dead, and mm. now there's 50 guys we have to fight. Well, we lost, but we got to kill all these orcs. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want combat to be like, here we go. Yeah, exactly. So you definitely want to keep it you know, two hours of real time and sort of th- think about how much you can get done in that time. Unless there is an exception, though. And that's sort of the fight that you've been building up through the campaign. And usually a boss fight. Or like in the heroes, or a series, like something. It was a series of fights, right, leading up to a boss fight. But right, uh, yeah, we actually like a, a Caleb's No Evil campaign had a good example of that, where we had a boss fight and we didn't even know about it because we we were, it was on the moon tier mm-hmm. and you know we were chasing going after this crazy person on, who was walking on the moon. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not good. And then we we jump down in in the tunnel to to find her and oh, she's infected. She's good. We, and and, and oh, there's, shit. oh shit, there's a bunch of weird monsters. Okay, we kill those. Oh shit. There's no. a big one. Yeah. So it, it escalated into a boss fight. We didn't even know. So that was very that that had a really strong tackle concept. This sort of desperate like we have to stop it now. Sort of a race against time. So make sure none of these things get away. And then we can contain it. Um, and it's kind of a, like a mutual ambush. We ambushed them and then they ambushed us. So mm-hmm. it, it was a, a very, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting, uh, interesting dynamic. And the thing about Eclipse phase is combat. Again, characters can have a lot of hit points, but weapons can do a shitload of damage. Yeah. So fights can be over very quickly. Um, and I think that's key to combat is that combat Again, you you can't. I think the hit the problem. I think is a lot of games is hit point inflation or damage. Weapons can't do enough damage. You know, you can't have. I hate that. You know, most RPGs a knife is one d six damage. A knife just fucking kills people most of the time. Yeah, you know? if anywhere it stabs you. Yeah, well, even if it doesn't, you're gonna be like you know. Even I stab you in the leg. You know, even assuming I didn't hit your carotid artery or something like that. Femoral. Femoral. Sorry. Um, God, Ross. I know. I'm sorry. Um, Where's your, don't you have a don't you have a doctorate? Yeah, well, not in uh, no. he, yeah, not in that. So not yeah. in stabology, you know. It's too bad. It's yeah. great. <laughs> um, the uh, you're gonna lose like I, stabbing someone is gonna like I would say at least reduce their health by half, you know, just because like you're really fucked up if someone put plunges a knife into you. I'm talking mm-hmm. you know average like dagger, not just like a little. Yeah, never mind mega damage or some yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So keep coming short, but the, the, the fights that build up can last longer. Like it, for me also in, in absolute time, real lifetime, like the, here's a new Arcadia. We, you guys built up for that. You fucking begged for that big ass boss fight, uh, against the Paragon and her yeah. gang of evildoers. Of course I ended up being in jail. Yeah, that's true. Uh, which, you know, that, that was literally up to you. That was literally your character's decisions. Uh, I think it was a good one. Yeah. So, uh, but that lasted two sessions and we, that was, you know, like four or five hours worth of game mm-hmm. time. Or but that was, time. but that's what, that was like the end. That was the end fight of yeah. that, of that tier. And so the players were more, and everybody was on edge. You know, Kale was like, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's fine that, you know, if they're into it, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's different. You can you can tell that too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and players that you know, as we've mentioned many times, players have different groups. I need, I know there are a lot of groups out there that are really into tactical combat. That really love like, okay, we're a group of soldiers and we're clearing this neighborhood house by house of mutants or zombies. You know, we're playing XCOM, mm-hmm. the tabletop role playing game. So. Yeah, all right, I will turn this way. Do I see anything? <laughs> oh, I do not. I will do- Oh, I see something. Yeah. Do I have enough time units to shoot it? Yeah. Something like that. Son of a bitch. Well, I'm dead. Yeah. So so there are there are groups that love that kind of thing, you know, squad leader kind of thing. So the more power to them, but you know, be aware of their most groups I think like fights that don't last as long. Yeah. Um so the other thing is um, making sure everybody has, you know, is involved. And so how do you do that? I mean, what are you what well, first of all, you know, I would first know your group, yeah. know their strengths and strengths and weaknesses. And obviously, I don't think don't try to make sure don't try to make sure everyone can use their unique ability, but make sure every, everyone has something to do. Yeah. Whether it's just being, you know, the meat shield or the or your hit or your hit squad. Yeah, I just say, first of all, make sure that whatever fight you plan, each one, everyone has something to do. Right. You know, like. If you uh, using, I'm using this D and D as a template. If, you know, if you have a rogue, you know, make it, you know, make it where he can actually use the terrain to maybe score some sneak attacks. And yeah, you don't want to have fights where it's like you're on a clear uh, path. And you're in an open field. You're in an open field. The grass is very short. They've been mowing it. The gnomes mow the grass, <laughs> and there's deal daylight. with it. Yeah, there's no way you can hide. You know, like yeah, you know, because there's there's aren't aren't actually much, there isn't much combat that goes on in open terrain. Yeah. You know that you know ask soldiers in World War 1 on yeah. no man's land how that works. Yeah, exactly. That, that yeah, it depends on the era too. Like ancient <laughs> Greek guys would be like or you know medieval knights be like, "Yeah, fuck it, okay." Oh yeah. shit. As long as there's not archers, you know. So they, and, Oh shit, they got archers. Yeah, well, yeah. Um Yeah, and also I'd also say uh actually speaking of archers, if you have like the ranger type who's your, you know, can you know, you know, shoot arrows. Actually, give him some some kind of danger, so he's not just shooting an arrow every turn. Yeah, I think yeah. So because even if even if you're not in danger, but having nothing to do, but just roll your die to attack, roll your die to attack. I think that's yeah. a way to lose. lose I think players that's too. definitely true. You need to put every player in danger. Uh, what I like doing is uh, mont- make sure there's enough bad guys that everyone gets at least one attacker. Uh, shooting or attacking them or use area effect <laughs> weapons or the bad guy has some sort of supernatural ability that can target multiple people mm-hmm. or, you know, there's just, you know, so the players kind of have to watch their space. So everybody gets cut up at least a little, uh, at least a little bit. I know, you know, but the thing that, yeah, what happens in a fight is often, you know, one player takes almost all the damage and then everybody else is kind of like, usually yeah. the heavy armor melee guy. Well, it depends. Like in the Iron Heroes campaign, the Forza War, it was Aaron in the last fight. Oh, Aaron! Aaron! Aaron took a lot of damage, and the, the <laughs> big heavy guy who had all the armor was sort of like it, on the edge of the battlefield. Plunking ow! Like, I, ow! I yeah. got scratched. Yeah. Well, because he couldn't sneak up and like disable the the machine mm. war machines of the bad guys. So uh, I'll talk a little about that later, I guess. Um, so, you know, yeah, make sure everybody has something to do. Make sure everybody is threatened in some way. Uh, you know, and the, I think the thing, you know, in D&D, you talk about everyone has something to do. I think the problem is in D&D, that's fine because everybody has some combat ability. By default, that's how D&D is set up. Even if you're a wizard, you know how to fight. You know, you have something to do every round. But I think in 
what do you do in like Call of Cthulhu or even Eclipse Phase or basically most role playing games where you don't necessarily make a character that has any combat ability. So like how do you deal when like I'm the old professor with all the language skills <laughs> and scholarship and like, you know, he's surrounded by private investigators and so like yeah, KGB not like assassins. that not like that happened to us recently. Yeah, exactly. So uh well I, I don't know. I mean do you have any thoughts on that? Or? Well, I'm not going to mention what this game I'm talking about is because I want, you know, I'll, no, we'll, you, we'll talk about you're, it later. You're still playtesting it. Yeah. Or you're still rewriting it. I'll, I'll just mention this. All right. Someone in the group, I'm yeah. not going to mention any names, so you, can, you have to wait. Yeah. But I specifically said this is going to be survival horror and heavy and with a lot of fighting. Yeah. And so everyone's making, you know, mercenaries, ex-FARC members, you know, terrorists, mer- mercs. Uh, SAS sniper. SAS snipers. One guy made an archaeology professor. Yeah. And not an Indiana Jones type, like an academic. Yeah. And uh, I allowed it. Yeah. And he didn't do so well. Yeah. 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 So I think, first of all, using that, first of all, know what kind of campaign or scenario you're well, going. I mean, I mean, that's an extreme example. But, I mean, even in Eclipse Phase, you know, like, uh, what do you do when there's someone who can't fight, you know, and there's a fight going on? How do you keep them involved? Or Well, in that, in that case, you know, Eclipse Phase, there's a lot people can do to help the fight along. Yeah. You know, if you got if you got a, you know, hacker type, you, you can actually use him to actually change the environment to fit more suit your, you know, suit your team. I hacked the door to close Or um, if you have, like, you know, a... Uh, if you have just a tech guy, you can have him actually maybe turn some of their weapons against them, or something. You know, there's always something for someone to do. Yeah. You know, maybe not. Okay. I think, and also most of the characters, even though they weren't warriors, knew how to fight somehow. I mean, Preston, using that, was a uh, was a radio host, yeah. but he could still fight when he needed to. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could. He was betrayed by that woman. He thought there. Were, he thought he felt something with her. Yeah, it was just to get at him. Wait, has that been posted yet on the podcast? I don't think we're so. up to the. Uh, where are we up to? The salvage. I think that's already happened. Okay, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that's already happened. Okay, because I think that yeah, that was. Oh, bef- was that uh, was that the start of Scum Swarm? Yeah, it was around this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I he was heart. Wanna... He he was heartbroken. Yeah. But well, he soldiered on. I think the thing is, um, also going back to ta- the tactical concept, uh, when you have a fight, when you have a group that has like some people who are fighting and some who are not fighting, uh, then you have to s- structure the fight so that the the victory conditions again aren't kill the other bad guys. It's like, oh shit, guard the archaeology site while the professor performs the ritual to to banish the dark demon. I'll hold off the cultists while you do that. You know, mm-hmm. that's sort of the obvious. Or, thing. you know, get our vehicle up and running again. Right, or fix the vehicle, you know. So then <laughs> then what you need to do is that sort of make combat against the vehicle. Like, you have to make five skill rolls, and you, then you have to go over here to get the part and then bring, come back what dodging enemy yeah. fire. Uh, Tear your shirt off at some point just yeah. to show how badass you <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so. yeah, it's... It's you know it's essentially it comes down to fighting, but you don't necessarily have to, it doesn't have to be fighting the enemy. Yeah. Everyone everyone need, everyone can be fighting, but not necessarily the same thing. Well, they're they're contributing, you know, mm-hmm. they're 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 helping in some way. Uh, it's not necessarily you know rolling damage. Um, again, it depends on the 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 exact campaign, but you, you, there there are a lot of ways you know uh, that someone can help without actually. Like, I've been in a game where uh, you know there's 
Like one guy was playing like the driver of the team who'd never picked up a gun in his life. Yeah. But in this fight with a bunch of gunmen, he actually just hijacked a truck and started running them down. Yeah. So there's every you someone can, you know everyone can do something. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you know sometimes you know you might actually see the players not realizing what he can do. Yeah. So I think at that point as a GM, I think you should throw out you know don't just flat out tell them, but throw out some hints. Yeah. Or you know maybe your players will notice that you know hey why don't why why don't you go do this? Oh yeah, I guess I could. Yeah. That's uh, uh yeah players yeah should help uh players. Uh, one thing I think one of the things I liked about fourth ed D and D was that a lot of the player classes had abilities they could grant only to other players and that helped people pay attention. I know there's like a warlord class like, Oh, here, I'll give you a bonus on this attack roll. I'll give you an extra attack and that kind of thing. I wish more role playing games had that kind of sort of synergy where mm-hmm. like you could give bonuses to other players, uh, in certain circumstances or you could, you could help them. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. Cause I think the idea of I go, you go, I go, you go is kind of, encourages that sort of static thing and that sort of static, like I'm only going to pay attention on my turn. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, you know, tricky. Uh, of course the big, the biggest, the, the, the problem is, so these are all, we, we've all been kind of talking about fights that are kind of pre-planned, you know, the typical, like I'm going to have, I'm going to sit down between games. I'm going to write out, I'm going to have a map. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. That doesn't always work out. Does it actually? No. And it's actually sometimes not even the best thing to do. Really? No, actually, um, sometimes I've been in several games. I've run a few, actually, yeah. myself, where you know, a situation's coming up and either a player starts the fight, sometimes spectacularly starting the fight. Yeah. I'm not looking at, at not mentioning any names. I'm just staring directly at you. I don't even know what game you're referring to. There's, There's so many, many Ross. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes where you weren't planning a fight at all, like you were just thinking, okay, these... This player, like they're going to have a you know little little conversation here, yeah. maybe maybe a little posturing, and then someone whips out a shotgun and blows them away. Or you know you think there's going to be a fight, but you don't realize that the player totally fucks something up. Like I shoot my shotgun, kill the guy, and then then bellow out a war cry, thinking like I thought you were going to stab him silently and not alert the mm-hmm. 50 guys next to him, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and I think. That's what, I kind of like those spontaneous fights, but the thing is, you have to. So how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you deal with spontaneous fights? How do you keep okay. those interesting? Well, first of all, sometimes I have to. Sometimes once or twice, particularly once again recently, I really had to admit to myself, I'm not really conscious enough right now to deal with a sudden, totally unplanned fight. Right. One that's happened, I think, actually once, maybe once another time years ago. But sure. it's moments where I have to go. Okay, I don't. I'm just going to have to either bring this to it, bring this to an end, you know, an, or, you know, an end, an end, or just do something because, yeah. or actually just fire the ret cannon. Yeah. But other times when I am when I actually am all there. Yeah. It's just all right. Bring the rain. Okay. And uh, if something I learned, something I learned from a dear friend of mine on the internet. <laughs> You know, fellow fellow GM and uh, my writer friend. Yeah. I've mentioned her a few times. She's GM'd and she said her philosophy has always been: if you guys want to do that, all right. Uh, but the consequence, like on your own head, be it. Right. And uh, you mentioned this, I think, earlier, or that you were you know, going to have uh, players just you know just assuming they're going to win any fight. Yeah. The, yeah. We. I mentioned Which, that I think before that, we were planning this episode. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I think that's where a lot of the pl- problem comes in because player when they start a fight they just expect to win. Yeah, 
And so, you know, you I think part of a GM, you have to be, you know, have I guess have the have the balls. Like, okay, those 20 guys that were just going to be there to guard him, you blow them away, they're going to open fire. And uh, you are not in cover. Yeah. So if you get, if actually, if you guys get killed, that's it. You guys get killed. Um, I mean, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, but the the real concern, again, is that if you if you don't have the time to plan the fight out, you know, that then the fight is going to be boring. You know, like, say you players are investigating this death cult, and the way the scenario is set up is, you know, the, you, you think that you assume when you're playing the scenario in between games that the players are going to go to the cave. Mm-hmm. And while they're at the cave, the, the, the cult is going to go to the mansion and steal the evidence. And, but they'll leave some clues behind so the players can track them to the swamp. All right. So you have the three places. Mm-hmm. But instead, the players go like, you know what? Why don't we split up? Two of us go to the swamp or two of us go to the mansion. And the other person, no, no, no. Fuck it. Let's set the swamp on fire and go to the mansion. And they're like. Okay, and so they set the swamp on fire, and thus the thus the cult, you know, uh, pours out of that. The remnants of the cult they see the players driving away. They chase them, and so now you have a chase from the swamp on the road from the swamp, and you never expected that. So like you didn't have time to prepare that. So it's a it's a intriguing scene. But how do you set that up? And of course, the swamp monster is like, who the fuck burned my swamp? And has sent yeah, out his legion again, of bats. I think- if you know, if you're actually, if you're into, if you're ready for the game, I think you can actually, you can solve a lot of that by just a very, a little bit of preparation. Okay. Like, what do you do? Okay. Like when I've done it and it's been successful. Well, let's okay, use the hypothetical. Okay. So what I've done. Yeah. Is okay using that scenario. Yeah. First of all, if they let's set the swamp on fire. Easy way around there is saying, well, it's a swamp. It's extremely wet. Fire's okay. not going to take. Well, let's just say the players have. Okay. Let's say, but let's say they've done. One's of them a fire starter. Okay. One thing like. Have this have this beforehand. Yeah. Just some stats of some stats of the, some cult members. Yeah. And you could use them for how many you want. You can. Yeah. And so you know they're you know getting getting into a chase. Oftentimes I find you know fighting while in a chase can be is something can be a fun but a real pain in the ass. Yeah. So the way I you know, so if I was if that if that was me like okay. Every turn every turn the driver's got to make a drive check. Okay. To uh, and I think you, you can actually do that it's like uh, opposing drive checks to maybe whoever wins this round gets an advantage on their combat because they they drove into a better position. Yeah. So say for that round, you know, okay, one player's driving rolls, he succeeds better than the cult does. Okay, for this round, all of you using Call of Cthulhu rules, I'm just yeah. All of you are going to get a plus a plus ten on all your combat rolls because your driver's keeping you lined up with them. Yeah. And essentially, you could just drive that until either you've killed, you've either killed the driver or killed all the cultists on the road, or the cultists might overtake you, and they might run you off the road, and then now you're trapped in the swamp with them with them gunning for you. Right. Or you can actually, or if you wanted to get back to the mansion, you could have the chase take back to the mansion. All right. So you just have a so you just have a series of combats, one right. A series of combats and. Uh, don't be afraid. I, I say, don't be afraid to uh, just make some shit up on the on the spot. Okay. As long as it has some basis in the system and reality. Okay. And I th- uh, something like that. Just uh, I, you know, an opposed drive check every combat round. Okay. I think that's so something you could something do. Something simple. Like yeah, you, I would you say don't want to get too bogged down again. Yeah, especially if it's a impromptu combat you weren't planning on. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah, I think in general, one of the things I've learned from uh, game mastering is a simple idea, well executed is vastly better than a brilliant idea poorly executed. Yeah. I don't know. What do you I, I totally agree. Yeah. 
because again, I mean, there's so <laughs> many, so many times games are just kind of sub-average or they don't fill up the potential. I mean, obviously, the, the what you really want is a brilliant idea executed brilliantly. brilliantly. Yeah, but those are the ones you talk about. Those are the ones that take time to plan. You can't do that impromptu. I don't think. Uh, so yeah, I think I mean that that that's what every good idea is like having stats of NPCs on hand, uh, being ready to make up new rules on the fly. Uh, I know I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, some people accuse me of improvising everything in a game. So not that I will comment one way or the other. So, but um, for me, I think it's also uh, what I would do is make it a series, like a sort of kind of a, a very come up in my mind, a very quick flow chart. All right. You set the swamp on fire. <laughs> All right. Have them make spot checks. Did the, if, if they did make the spot check, they see cultists, uh, that were pouring out of the swamp or coming right back to the swamp that are nearby and the players realize they have to either sneak away or kill those cultists silently or the cultists will know that they're there. So if they fail, then the cultists see them and cue to car chase. Mm-hmm. So in the other scenario is, you know, the okay, so the players see the cultists. Do they manage to sneak away or take the cultists out uh, without being noticed? Okay, if so, then they can get away to the mansion. Uh, which case the cult it takes the cult some time to track them down, so they can start the fight in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, cute a car chase. So, I think it, it kind of set it up, and then of course, if they keep failing these skill, so it seems like the worst result, the ones if they don't make their skill checks, is the car chase. So in that case, I'd make it disadvantageous, where you know the cultists have Tommy guns and they're spraying. So even the, even the best case scenario, their car is going to be shot up to shit, mm-hmm. and probably because they're all in a confined location one they're probably all going to get flack and shrapnel and you know bullet wounds from this so you know and of course there's a chance uh so during the car chase if they fail drive check i wouldn't give them a bonus if they fail their drive check they crash they all take damage um and then they have to fight from the car wreck if they want to survive the cultists mm-hmm. so and a problem i've run into that yeah some actually that you know often when i'm running that sometimes discourages me is like Using that same, okay, the case, the mansion, they decide just not to go there and set the swamp on fire, but you yeah. really need them to get to the mansion. There's ways to do that, to, a simple, once again, another spot hidden check, you know, maybe like show them some cultists coming back with stuff that were clearly from the mansion. Right. So you know they've been there. Right. You know, it's, uh, if you can figure, it's just basically you can kind of use some quick logic. Yeah. You know, well, for me though, I, I try and approach scenarios so that I can never, I never have to ask myself, or uh, I never put myself where they need to be in the mansion, mm-hmm. uh, where I say, I know what happens if they go to the mansion. And I know what happens if they don't go to the mansion. So that, you know, again, I try and do a flow chart kind of thing where I know what the basic reaction of any given, you know, mm-hmm. uh, action, the result of any given action is. So if they don't go to the mansion, all right, Cthulhu shows up or mm-hmm. like the dark one shows up or, you know, the cult is strengthened or whatever. So that that's how I, I guess you know, give them some clues. But if they choose their fate, they choose their fate. Right. So again, I kind of uh, um, do it as a, a very quick. If they do this, they, they get this. If they do this and this, they get this. You know, so it's A, B, or C, uh, and try to keep it fast and try and keep it. So like the cult, even the car chase vice would be like one car of cultists, you know, with four guys in it. So it wouldn't be even if even if they 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 wreck their car and they kill those cultists, uh, but they still manage to kill the cultists, then they can either if the car their car is intact, they could just take it. Or then they could just fucking walk to the mansion or to the village, you know, trying or to the cave, you know, try and get someplace safe, you mm-hmm. know, or try and hide from the cultists. So uh, either way, an excited narrative. Yeah. Is, 
achieved. So, um, again, I think that's the main thing with combat. Combat is not a re- end of itself. Combat is a means to the end. And the end, of course, is a good, fun, exciting game. And so create drama, create conflict. Uh, and so in order to do that, you have to make combat that is sort of exciting. You yeah. know? And what is exciting? Something that's got high stakes, something that's meaningful, something that has danger, something that I has, think it's some, something that something takes, novel, something that takes them by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of have to uh, keep it varied. Um you know, in the Iron Heroes campaign I've been running, uh, every fight's had a very different feeling. One fight, the players chose to go on. Like, oh, that bad guy's running away. Fuck it, we're going to abandon half the party and chase after him. Okay, well, you have to make all these skill challenges. All right, we make them. All right, fine, you you, you get him. Uh, he starts poisoning you. What? He's a poisoner. He he has poison daggers. He has poison uh, throwing bombs. And he's like, fuck, this is hard, Ross. This is bullshit. You chased after him <laughs> you literally picked a fight with him he was running away he was already yeah. going and again don't be afraid you know, players i'll say as gms don't be afraid don't be afraid to you know don't be afraid to, to show no mercy and players don't just expect to win every fight yeah don't expect to win every fight you're gonna have to run away uh or you're gonna have to you know remember your victory conditions so uh that's that's really the the key to a good fight so mm-hmm. um there's a lot of I mean there's a lot of movies and situations where the hero the heroes do not win a fight. Yeah. Sometimes they cock it up pretty bad. I think I mean like in the superhero genre it's like part and parcel that the good guy gets his ass kicked. Always mm-hmm. like in the any beginning story arc like oh god the vulture showed up. Well I'm Spider-Man. I'm going to kick. Oh my god, the vulture's kicking my ass. What is going on? You know, and so And he like, goes back and then to think what what did I do wrong? What Wait, the vaulters got new powers. How did that happen? Like, I have to find like, what out. Would, like, what would Uncle Ben do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then cue dilemma. So uh, that's the idea: is you know, you getting your ass kicked or having to run away is part and parcel of the genre of any adventure. Kind of, you know. Uh, so don't get all bummed out about it. Don't feel like you have to, you know, uh, uh, kill everybody. Exactly. Yeah, GMs that let you kill everybody suck. Anyways. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jesus wrong with you guys <laughs> actually I, there are some players that have never lost a character i will fix that Parti- and i particularly that's like D characters are well, particularly yeah. bad at that yeah 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 but i don't know um that's i mean that's one of the things i like about like knights of the dinner table they keep talking about how like i i, I do read that comic and they keep they, they do these elaborate D type campaigns and all their characters keep dying over and over they make knuckles the 18th you know? yeah. <laughs> so like just kind of that like uh, adversarial old school talk game. about rules lawyers yeah exactly so uh anyways um tom does not have a i think it kind of sums up unless there's any yeah else. i think we got it down so yeah uh, if you have any comments about it feel post them on the website post them on our forums, we'll answer our questions we love to answer questions um actually yeah we, uh, tom does not have a letter but we tom does have we do have two uh listener letters so, so we'll i think read. you know sometimes it's good for me to shut up and read your stuff um uh, i would like to bring up one little thing though uh speaking of listener letters um i get a fair amount of email we get a fair amount of email and messages about rppr and i we appreciate it we I love hearing from you guys strokes yeah. our egos yes. it's basically it's what we feed upon yes um and one thing I really like, or one thing that keeps getting asked a lot, well, on a fairly regular basis, I, I really liked Adventure X. I mean, X is usually Slenderman or Candle mm-hmm. Cove or uh, Tom's Divine Fire. Yeah. yeah. And 
uh, I want to run it for my group. Can you send me your notes for it? And I'm like, I, something I, I appreciate that. But I think something I, you, you need like to realize, yeah. something you need to realize most, I mean, Ross and me particularly, yeah. our, our, our game notes are handwritten on notebooks. Yeah. Uh, I tend to handwrite uh, stuff, especially when I come up with ideas to outline. And so uh, do I. Type it up. And uh, so, one, I would have to type all that up, and that's a lot of work. And to make it English, you know, that other people could read and not just like. Your chicken scratches? Yeah. Well, no, it's just like I very. I, I, I was like. Uh, three elements, you know, this, this, and this. So, three LM. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, no, no, no. It, they're words, but it's just like, uh, the, I just, well, I, t- I, I t- it's just I, a few words. It's I tend not, to abbreviate a lot. I don't abbreviate it. It's just like, it's just three elements. And then I list three elements. I don't explain what they are, what's important about them or anything about it. It's just, you know, uh, encounters, bar, swamp, cave, mansion, you know, that's it. And then I write a few words about each one. I don't describe what the mansion, I, the mansion encounter is in my head. You know, I just have like, oh yeah, I need to do the mansion encounter. So what I'm saying is I'd actually have to write it up. I mean, it's not, the handwritten, the notes aren't enough. I'd have to write several thousand words. Uh, so to, I mean, so that's a lot of work. And uh, my plan actually is uh, to eventually publish all this material through Kickstarter or through the unspeakable oath or something like that. Um, so eventually if I'm going, when I get these scenarios written up, uh, I actually did a poll on the RBBR forums asking, what do you guys want to see first? Here's a new Arcadia or Slenderman, Carcosa or whatever. And here's a new Arcadia one. That's why I'm doing base Raiders first. So next year, uh, I'll probably do something along the lines, uh, something based on the Carcosa material. Uh, I've been talking about it, talked about it. I've, last I've, episode, yep, you know, I've, I've heard uh, it. architectural horror and all that. And, but that's next year, and that's that's going to be an actual professional thing, you know. And so I appreciate it all, but I'm not in any position to give those notes away. So uh, if you want to talk uh, – If you want to ask, being, ask some advice for how to run that. Yeah, the, that being said, there are people who have already done it just based on the podcast themselves, and they are usually on the RPPR forums or on our Facebook group. So if you have questions about like – I want to run Candle Cove or I want to run Divine Fire. Here's what I think I'm going to do. What do you guys think? Our, the RPPR community is really good about mm. answering those kind of questions. And I, I've listened to, I pay attention to those. I usually answer those kind of questions. And I just consider, I, I like, I prefer public discussion to one-on-one emails because that way there's an archive and that way other people can and, uh, and usually other people will think of shit you didn't. Exactly. And other people can just like refer back to it. So I think it, it benefits everybody. If you want to get help with your scenarios that are from RPPR, you should talk to the other RPPR fans. Uh, I'll, th- I'll add in my two cents, but uh, they're not ready yet for publication. I don't know. Well, Tom, what about Divine Fire? Since- it's, it's the same thing with me. Like All of my notes were handwritten in a notebook. I'm trying to get them typed up now. Yeah. I mean, but it's they're not done. They're not ready for prime time yet. Right. So, and I'm, There's no ETA. No ETA. You're I on mean, valve time. Yeah, it's uh, it's or yeah, it's, it'll be ready. You're on it'll be ready soon, in quotation marks. Hmm. Gotcha. But uh, I am working on them. Okay. Uh, it's I have a lot of other stuff I'm doing right now. Okay. So, but no, it's definitely it's definitely planned in the future. I'm also writing some other stuff for Ross too. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll when when that gets closer to release time, we'll, we'll announce it, and then we'll be mm-hmm. doing podcasts about that. I'm actually I'm probably gonna, our I'm, books. Yeah, I'm probably gonna I'm gonna ask him to do some stuff for base raiders if I can. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Whatever so, you want to do, like I've um, actually I've got got several ideas of stuff I just want to do. Tom, the more you want to write, the more I will put in the book. And we'll, so yeah, we can we can we're gonna make we'll, we will make content. Yeah. 
All right, so we'll be right back with some listener letters and then some shout-outs and an anecdote. It'll be great. And we're back with some listener letters. So we like those. These we got a little while a couple weeks ago. They still have that listener smell to them. Yeah. It's like new car. I yeah, sure, Tom. How are those new meds working out? Do I creep you out, Ross? No, of course I don't. No, no. Why don't you go first then? Why don't I? Okay, this one is from Christian, and he's dear RPPR. I'm a huge fan and had a question I needed help with. And had an anecdote I figure you might enjoy. I'll start with my question. I'm a huge fan of Old World of Darkness. After listening to your f- actual plays and your podcast to become a better GM, I finally decided on what game I wanted to run for my friends. I settled on Hunter the Reckoning. I had originally tried to do Call of Cthulhu, but in the end I found that it wasn't good for the group size and wasn't the game type for what I wanted to do. I enjoy horror, so I figured that Hunter would give me the ability to create a better story for my players while still having squishy players so that our fear, the fear of death was always prevalent. The problem I faced, though, was whereas I love the setting for Old World of Darkness, I can't seem to ever get the feeling for combat down, and understanding it eludes me. Is there any way you can give me an easier-to-understand breakdown of combat because for the life of me, soaking damage, determining damage, and pretty much all of the combat as a whole just continues to elude me? Thanks for the help in advance. I haven't listened to every episode yet, so I wasn't sure if there was an episode where you broke down combat and other elements of different game types throughout role-playing. Thank you in advance for any help you can have. And before I do, and before I go, a quick anecdote from some of the first games I ever played. When I moved into my apartment and started college, the first role-playing games I ever played were Palladium with my roommate. I know how much Tom loves this system, so I had to write in with it. We played Heroes Unlimited, and I had rolled an APS metal character with supernatural physical strength who the group had affectionately called Metal Dick. We were doing a quest line involving an old martial arts master who had, who had dim mock and were tr- we were tracking him down when we encountered a dragon. My roommate wasn't the type of vengeful GM, so we were all certain that there was some trick to, de- to defeat the all-powerful dragon. I had announced that I was going to rip up a tree with my using my super strength and throw it at the dragon, but then our friend Sean came up with what he thought was the greatest attack ever conceived. Now, to put it nicely, Sean was, for, Sean was, for lack of a better word, our group's Aaron. His heart was in the right place, but needlessly, needless to say, his decisions caused him to leave to have to roll new characters up constantly. This time he had rolled a cyborg who had rolled well on funds and backgrounds, so he had made himself into this half half a ton Terminator covered in weapons and tech. He looked at me with all the tension of a B grade action movie and said, "No, Chris, throw me." He sat back. He sat back with a smile on his face and proud of the wonderful plan he had come up with. Surely, with his weight, he would deal enough damage being thrown by a character as strong as I. So I picked him up and heaved him at the dragon with all my might. Some dice were rolled, and my GM exploded with laughter. That dragon parried the shit out of Sean without any effort whatsoever. That was the end of Sean's new character, parried into space by a dragon. To this day, we still joke about, we still joke that his character had become an incredibly useful satellite for our team to use and coordinate our attacks. In the end, we found that found out all we had to do was make it through one round with the beast, and the right course of action was to speak to it, not attack it outright. I too hate this system, but damn, that was a, was a hilarious session. Thanks for any advice you got. You have. Hope you enjoyed the story, and thanks for all the wonderful tips and actual plays you guys post. 
Tom and Ross, from all my friends who game with me, you guys are great and keep up the awesome work. Aw. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, that First was... of all, I'd like to admit, yes, you are correct. Palladium sucks as a system. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... Once again, I'll say awesome settings, but an unworkable system. Fun settings. Fun. Okay, fun. I'll go that far, but... Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think I've already done some stuff, talked about Heroes Unlimited. We, we have we have tread that, that area. Like my medical doctor with an IQ of three. Yeah. One, um, but for your question, you know, the world of darkness is actually, I mean, to be, if you look at the comments on the actual place, people criticize <laughs> us for not doing it well. So yeah, we're, we're really the wrong person, people to ask. Uh, then again, I think, you know, we run it just enough to make it fun and workable. Well, yeah, it's fun and workable, but we, we kind of miss some of the rules. I think the best way to learn any system though, combat system is just do example combats by yourself. Yeah. Uh, just to go over it your, yourself and kind of <laughs> like, you know, werewolf A versus vampire B, you know, go, you know, they, they, they trade blows with each other and just roll the dice until you get a sense of you do this, this, and this. So, uh, that, that's one way of doing it. If you're really determined to learn it, you know, yeah. um, other than that, if you have specific questions, post them on a public forum, like the white wolf forums, RPPR forums, uh, RPG.net, you know, some role-playing game community uh, will be able to answer your questions better. There's a lot of gamers out there. Yeah, and again, we're we and that never, world of darkness really isn't our it, system. Yeah, it's not our wheelhouse, as mm-hmm. uh, as they are wont to say in these days. Um, it's not our bailiwick. Yeah, yeah, there we if go. If I might go old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah, there we go. I prefer wheelhouse. Wheelhouse sounds so awesome. And, it's almost like a roundhouse kit. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, but again, just. Practice the system, read the book, and ask questions online. That's the only really, that's the only way to learn any system, really. <laughs> I I think. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no secret to it. Uh, and if you so, uh, the, it's you can't just ask one. How do I learn it? Well, you kind of have to break it down. How do I do this? How does this work? And you have to you have to read the specifics. General questions like that are really hard to answer, you know. In general. And when you ask, especially about combat, yeah. how do I game better? How do I run games better? Like, yeah. Well. But as and as we, as this actual Be not bad. But, but as this episode was about, you know, combat's kind of complex. Yeah, and it, yeah, and we all only went over sort of conceptual abstract conceptual things that aren't really connected rule to one specific. Space. Yeah, yeah, rule specific. Because every game system has its own sort of quirks that creates a different dynamic in combat. I mean, New World of Darkness often accused of gun nibble, where like the guy with the pistol, oh, I think away, do one point of damage to every round, pew 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 pew, you know, which is mm. different than Call of Cthulhu, like. Well, impaled with my forty-five. That's and twenty five, damage. Yep, and now that was two rounds. Yeah. Oh, you are dead. Yeah. Well, just one bullet does twenty-two. Could do twenty-two damage easily, or actually twenty-four damage. Um, double damage and uh, forty-five does d up to twelve damage. So, yeah. Death. Death. So that's that's something to keep in mind. So, uh, yeah, that. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry we can't help you more. Thanks for listening. And that was a great story. Too. That was that was an awesome story. Uh, now I have a uh, uh, one. There's one other letter we got. Uh, this is from Oren. Uh, Hello, RPBR. Oren here from the All Things Trek podcast. I really enjoyed your recent horror episode, and I've employed many of the techniques myself over the years. Uh, another trick that I found very handy when I try to sprinkle a bit of horror into my Hunter and Call of Cthulhu games. Well, that's good. You want it's a, very a good, bit yes. of horror in those You games. want some. A bit of horror in Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. But, yeah. Just, uh, just, a, just a touch. Is <laughs> to play with the idea that the monsters fit into society more than the hunters or investigators do. Vampires can, mani- uh, vampires can manipulate politics with plots that span generations. An old one's avatar in this mor- mortal coil 
mortal coil can hide quietly inside the mind of the PTA organizer. On the other hand, the hunter's investigators tend to be scarred and grizzled to the point of psychosis, often barely holding together just long enough to disappear from the public eye and head out into the night with pants-shitting arsenals of strange <laughs> weapons. If the cops get called to a showdown between hunters and monsters, I think we all know who's going to get cuffed. Yeah. No one, because the, <laughs> the cops are dead. The cops are going to be murdered by both sides. <laughs> Let's be honest. Because the players would be like, we're, we're the good guys. If somebody's trying to stop us, they're bad. You know, <laughs> You know. well, I, he has a gun that I want. Unless it's like a grizzled maverick cop or something. Well, then that's a player character. Yeah. And then the PC Halo will alert you that that person should be. Yeah, but say some human like just shoving a vampire's head into a filing cabinet. Like, better file this guy in her G yeah. for garbage. Yeah, like the vampire PTA organizer. Here, how about some extra credit? Bam, bam. And the guy's like, oh my God, put that poor woman down. Well, I use my, I draw my katana. <laughs> well, you brought a sword to a gunfight. Well, yeah, but I'm a vampire mage investigator. Thing. Yeah, because we know how those games go. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a good criticism because like one term that I love from RBG.net uh, is a for the, the typical player character is the murder hobo. <laughs> And he really is. They're yeah. homeless. They have no ties to society, and they just murder things like all the time. Like, <laughs> like not even being serious. Like, oh, there's a thug trying to mug me. I blow his head up. You know, like, uh, and then look at you funny when you question them. Yeah. What? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> Spare him. He, he was dissing me. Yeah. He was. He was going to kill me. I had to kill him first. He's coming right for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So anyway, where's the letter? Uh, oh, and here's an anecdote for you. Uh, one, th- this took place during an Iron Kingdoms D20 game I ran a few years back. One of the characters was a paladin of Mora with an 8 in his intelligence score. Sir Cody, obviously not our Cody, no. uh, took a very optimistic view of Mora. Definitely not Cody. <laughs> no. Uh, and w- even as he waded neck deep in undead me- mechana thralls, he saw in everything in black and white terms. Uh, there was good and there was bad. Sir Cody was there to do good. Uh, this was actually very good for the game as it had become somewhat bogged down by players always arguing a complex, the complex moral implications of whatever action they chose to do next. Uh, Sir Cody helped the other characters believe that they, they were doing the right thing. He also had a two-handed oversized maul that did an ungodly amount of damage, but that's besides the point. Exactly. Uh, one session through a series of shenanigans... Alan, the party wizard, wound up giving Sir Cody a helmet with plus six intelligence enchantment on it. With an intelligence of 14, Sir, uh, the Cody's player decided to play him as a much more observant and well-spoken. This was a huge boon to the party at first, as said players, a born tactician, was able to help them turn the tide of an important battle that was not going their way. However, as the session went on, Sir Cody's player decided that his increased intelligence had caused the Paladin to lose faith in Morrow <laughs> for what just God would allow such horrors that he had witnessed. As such, he decided that Sir Cody had lost access to his paladin abilities, mind evil and the like. Uh, Sir Cody had a choice to make. He could wear the hat and be able to interact with his fellow man on an intelligent level, or he could take it off and regain his faith and moro along with his divine abilities. It was a very powerful moment in uh, at the time, both for Cody's player and for the group as a whole. These were the moments we all played for. In the end, Cody, uh, Sir Cody decided to throw the hat away and return to a simplistic view of the world. There was good and there was bad. There was a moment of play that I doubt any of our group will forget, and I'd like to have pointed out that it all happened without planning or interference from me. So, Very nice. I mean, that's great. That's Algernon's flowers. Mm, or flowers, flowers for, for Algernon. Uh, for Algernon, without, like, just... 
Without any idea, yeah, just that's that. You see, this is what one of the things I like about role. The, the the very core of what I love about role playing game is that it's a story created by all the GMs and the players, and no one knows what the story is exactly. before it's actually played out. No one's like, yeah, we're gonna do Algernon's for flowers with a fucking paladin, woo! You know, like they didn't set down to do that, but that's what happened, mm-hmm. and that's a drama that happened and it worked within the game system. It had you know the mechanism, you know, the random results, and. Uh, of you know combat and dice rolling and all this other stuff and so it wasn't just predetermined and so it was great you know mm-hmm. it was it, 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 i love that story that's that's awesome so thank you Gord. thank you for that so uh when we come back we'll have shout outs and anecdotes it'll be lovely And we're back. So we really didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Well, I just kind of like put in a little music interludes in there. Just in a, just, just a little bit, just like smooth things over. Just like I guess a smooth transition. I just like there's all this pod save music that's just free for use for podcasts, and I figure I might as well use it. So if the resources there, use yeah. it. Yeah, I know. Like a lot of podcasts do, like one song that they have for everything, and that's it. But you know, like, we varied up eh, yeah. layers upon layers. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Tom. All right. So shout outs. Um, first off, I'd like to, since we're going with combat, I'm going to talk about the best combat g- video game I've played in a long time. And that will be hotline Miami. This is a $10 game on steam and GOG and it's coming out for Mac soon. Hey, isn't this the game where you're a guy in pastel suits and animal masks? Uh, well, you, you really like in a letter jacket, like a high school varsity mm-hmm. letter jacket, but yeah, you have a mask. You start with a chicken mask, so you're a guy in a chicken mask killing people, or you can get every every. There's like 20 masks. Each mask has a different ability, and you eat your heart out, David Lynch. Yeah. Oh my God, it is very Lynchian because basically you just get a message on your voicemail saying that's just like boils down. Go to this address, and you go to this address. There's a bunch of people there, and what do you do? You just kill them all. You don't know why. You don't know who they are. You don't are. even know if you actually got I mean, a message. I mean, they are all armed. They're all members of the Russian mafia, apparently. But you, you don't even know if you actually got a message. Yeah, well, yeah, well. If, it, if it's just in your mind. Yeah, that's true. It's it's a pretty fun. There's, there's a lot of interesting plot twists on it. And it's a very short game. It took me about eight hours to beat. But I keep going back to it because the gameplay is so good. Uh, and I'm trying to beat my high scores, you know, trying to get all the achievements. Um, each each mask you get, uh, you unlock has different abilities. Like one of them, uh, you can kill people barehanded. Otherwise, you you just not like the default thing is you you punch somebody, they fall down, then you can execute them on the ground or pick up a weapon and wait for them to stand up and then kill them. Uh, and then uh, guns attract, uh, create noise and attract bad guys showing up. Uh, and there are just, it's very fast paced. Recklessness is rewarded. You can just steamroll your way through a level. But one thing is your, your character dies in one hit, like literally like in reality. Yeah, exactly. One hit you're dead. And it's like, got this weird top down eight bit, 16 bit kind of graphics. uh, Yeah. I I looked, I looked at, it looks like a super Nintendo game. Yeah, it does, but it's so fucked up and weird. In and fact, it reminds me of one game in particular. Yeah. The True Lies game for the Super Nintendo. Okay. This, get, get, look at some pictures, screenshots of that, right. and tell me if it's not similar. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll take a look. Uh, there, the, the thing is, though, it's got great music, too. Mm-hmm. It's got this kind of retro future kind of like uh, electronic music that sounds like it should have been from the 80s, but it's very pulse-pounding, very mm-hmm. good. 
And uh, it's just amazing. It's it's uh, a great fun game to play. Super. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mine are actually. Yeah. I have a sh- I have a shout out. It's actually, it's two movies, but I got them on I got them on one DVD. Yeah. It's a uh, one. The first one is an '80s horror movie. Just well, you know me in those. Yeah. Called uh, the Curse, which is yeah. like alien rock falls on this farm, and alien goo leaks out, and then it makes everything bad. Yeah. And then bad thing, bad gross things happen to everyone around. The uh, director, you know, says he got some of it from uh, the colors, color from out of space. Yeah, you know, so it's kind of like that. Kind of like that. And uh, then, like on the same DVD, just on the other side yeah. from the set was uh, Curse Two, which has nothing at all to do with the first movie. It's actually a 1990 movie, <laughs> but it's it's basically. Snakes out in a nuclear test site are changed where their bite doesn't kill you, but makes them whatever it bites into a snake monster. Oh wow, that's yeah, that has nothing to do with the first one at all. It's now this is now of course it's radiation when radiation did whatever science wanted it to do. But it kind of still does. Not, not more now. It's more the nanos and the biotech and mm. the what's it. But this is when radiation did whatever people yeah. wanted. Yeah, fucking and, uh, Deus Ex radiation. Yeah, and it's uh, it's actually got a few people that actually meant something in acting a while ago, before that. Okay, you know, sometimes you see someone like, why is he, like, didn't he really? It's like seeing Abe Vigoda in Good Burger. Like, you, what are you doing in this? You were in The Godfather. Yeah, I don't know. What, what but the tune is like they're really good practical effects movies, and I really dig those. Yeah, good monsters, good monster stuff. Cool. What do you need? Cool. Um, back to the the uh, action theme. Another movie, actually, uh, one we've both seen, and also from the eighties, or at least uh, uh, Miami Connection. Oh uh, yeah, which yeah. has been re-released by Draft House Cinema. And Taekwondo Anti Insanity is how they they describe <laughs> it, and it is really fucking insane. It's available now as an HD download, uh, and it is just balls to the wall Madness. crazy. Yeah, it's about cocaine ninjas, uh, <laughs> um, band called Dragon Sound, that they're all Taekwondo black belts, and just I can't even describe more of it. It's just so fucking weird, and I there's no mandroids though. There's no mandroids, but Tom, help me out here. I mean, just what, what can you say about my? You can't. You can doubt you go to draftfilms.com. You can actually download the two songs for them. One of which is I show you against the ninja, which is a great sound <laughs> yeah. for a song. I mean, it's and um, so that's touring around the country. Yeah, ninja is actually a hard word to rhyme. Yeah. Um, but you can uh, watch uh, either as a download or in theaters, uh, select cities around the country. They're doing a tour. Uh, so that's going to be pretty awesome. So uh, I would love to see it in a theater uh, with other people. That would be hilarious. Yeah. But uh, it's a great film. So it's it's just crazy. Uh, and one other film uh, that people really compare this film, Hotline Miami, to this film. This is called Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also has Albert Brooks in it and Brian Cranston. Uh, I didn't know Albert Brooks could play a villain. And uh, Albert Brooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know he could. Yeah. Until I saw this movie. Did you see Drive? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, and Ron, per- Ron Perlman's in it. Uh, Man, you gotta love Ron. Yeah. So it's a basically about a very violent man who's also very good at driving and uh he has some disagreements with some people and they, De- and, but the, and they, re- they resolved them peacefully 
with it, violence. Yeah, that's that's saying that's one way of putting it. Uh, so uh, that's a great. It's a great film. It's on Netflix and it's got a great soundtrack and it is worth seeing. So. It's you know it's it's it, extremely violent. It's like the it's like a more mature Drive Angry that actually has a plot and characters yeah, yeah. and acting. So and, it's not like Drive Angry at all. Let me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so um, one of the uh, ebook I re- read recently is called Kicking It. It's from Monty Cook. Uh, recently did the Numerinia uh, Kickstarter, which is a tabletop role playing game Kickstarter, which raised over five hundred thousand dollars. So he knows a little bit about Kickstarter. Uh-huh. His original goal was twenty thousand, and he raised five over five hundred thousand dollars. And so uh, people have asked me advice for Kickstarter, and basically a lot of the advice I have read that book first. That's my advice. It's just get that and read that because that has a lot of good advice on. How to set up your Kickstarter? How to get it ready to go? Um, what's worth doing? What's not worth doing? Is it worth you know? Like for example, banner ads. I don't really see much of a point in investing no. in them. Uh, I mean, you can try, but I've had mixed results with banner ads. So it's how do you get people to pay into your Kickstarter? So if you want to do that, uh, I would recommend getting it. It's only like four bucks, five bucks, something like that. Mm. So uh, worth getting. Uh, finally, a couple more. I've got, just got a ton this week. Uh, it's a comic book, Godzilla, The Half-Century War from IDW, um, which is very much an action thing. It, it, what I, I know you you would love it too, Tommy, because it's about – I've, I've got the first issue, yeah. Like the first issue, yeah. There's three that are, that are released so far. There's going to be five, so you might just wait for the trade paperback to come mm-hmm. out. And the first three issues so far – are it's about this the the guys in the monster defense you know how in the Godzilla money Godzilla movies there's always the people that are shooting the ray guns and the tanks yeah, who the, are there to get destroyed yeah, yeah well they're also no they no no no, no. the real role is to show how badass Godzilla is. Mm. Like, see, we have all these tanks and missiles and helicopters and jet fighters and blah, and he's blah. and he just really fuck it fuck you, know, you. I, don't, I don't give a fuck. Playtime's over, motherfuckers. So it's go time. Yeah, it's go time. So, um, but it's about this guy who's just you know trying to fight Godzilla, and it's going all the way from like the sixties to the. It was nineteen fifty-seven, actually. Yeah, which is like the first show appearance of Godzilla. Yeah, and uh, the 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 plot it revolves around people misusing the technology they developed for it, and sort of the backstory behind. I I don't know. I I want. I can't wait to read the last two issues. So that's really good. Uh, One quick shout out to Invasive Procedures. The full actual play is um, on the actual play uh, website. Uh, we we ran it in three sessions. It is a crazy, crazy, crazy ass horror scenario. Also, very, really well written. Great what villain. are you doing? Yeah. I mean, well, first, I'm a huge fan of the villains involved. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, but yeah, I I've always loved them, and the scenario is great. The situation's great. I mean, no. son of a bitch. <laughs> and I, I love the mechanic of I mean, of you know who your characters are. <laughs> Mm. Like you know the penalties, the, yeah. the print, the penalties for moving around. Yeah, that's great because it's like, I'm thinking like holy shit, that would be true. Yeah, you know you're trying to heal. Yeah, it would and suck. you keep doing things like getting out of bed. Yeah, and picking fights with things that should not be. Mm-hmm. So or <laughs> running around. So um, yeah, I love that. And finally, I just want to mention a new game we tried out. Uh, I actually bought this a couple of years ago at Gen Con, but I put it in a box, forgot about it, then just found uh, refound it, like I was moving some things around. Like, oh yeah, I should try this. It's called Zombie Cinema, and it's come. It's a role-playing game, but it comes with just like this little pamphlet for rules, and a one tiny board, and a couple of game pawn pieces, and a couple dice, and it's uh, all put in a VHS box, 
And so it's a storytelling game where we're, you're all survivors in a zombie attack. And the idea is, do you escape or do you get killed? And it has some interesting mechanics for it. Tom, what do you think about it? So, I think it, it took a while to get used to. Yeah. Because it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's narrative based. So each character is supposed to, you know, contribute to the narrative. But, you know, being gamers, we're all, it's basically me. Yeah. Me. Well, I think the thing is, we the, 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 you have to do sort of a, a brain shift for this game. And normally it's like, we're a team, but we're fighting the zombies, right? But no, they're saying it's, they're zombies, and I have, to, I, have to, I, have to get out with, I have to get out at any cost. Well, no, the, the thing is, it's driven by player versus player conflict of some sort. So there has to be a conflict for your piece to advance closer towards escape. So you have to pick, basically pick some sort of conflict with other players. It doesn't have to be a literal fight. It could be an argument. It could mm-hmm. be a chase scene or it could be whatever. And so that's when you roll dice and that's when you kind of determine whether your character escapes or, you know, who wins the conflict and who loses the conflict. Whoever wins goes ahead, gets closer to escape. The only one who loses goes back. Other players can help or throw in their support one way or the other. And it's uh, interesting. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. I really liked it. Uh, It's a good, we play two games of it. Each one took about an hour. Yeah. We recorded, of course, I don't know when I'll post that. Uh, but it's worth it if you, if you can find a copy. It's worth checking out. It's a good pickup game. There's no prep required, and uh, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So uh, for anecdote, Tom, um, I'll talk a little bit about Iron Heroes. Do you want to, or do you want to talk about one of your games you've run or played recently, or uh, what are you thinking, Tom? Hmm. I could talk about. I'll talk a little bit about the one I just ran. All right. Why don't you talk about that, Tom? All right. I will. So, um, by the way, I so I ran. I just say this: I ran the completely, you know, the completely rough draft, you know, version of a uh, Call of Cthulhu scenario I'm working on. Yeah. Because I have a wonderful group of players to help me play test it. And this is a, this is the one where I mentioned where Aaron played the uh, archaeology professor amongst a team of mercenaries and cutthroats and killers. Yeah, we were all we were all basically horrible, horrible people, and I uh, yeah. I wished we all died. Taking place in uh, takes place South America, in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, essentially, it's a hunt, the hunt for Pablo Escobar's treasure. Yeah, is essentially what it is, and uh, it's one of those games where Ross did something that essentially made me realize I was first not in the right in the mental capacity to run it. But also, it's one of those situations, it was the scenario like we just talked about where he did something through combat that basically I, I could not plan for or deal with. So I had to basically had to go we're straight to the boss fight. Yeah, yeah. And it's... You want to leave that, you don't want to spoil that, you want to leave that? No, I want people to, I want people to want to hear the whole thing. Oh, okay. And especially when I run the actual, you know, further polished version later this week. Oh, uh, Okay. Fair enough, fair but you know, suffice it to say, uh, it was involving some moments. I'm not picking on Aaron here, but it's just I think it needs to be said. He just voluntarily wanted to do stuff that just he wanted to go crazier than he went. Yeah, yeah. It's it's why kind of the I I disagree. With, like sometimes when players want to interpret how a sand loss went. Yeah, I really don't think that's sometimes that's not a good idea because he lost I believe one sanity and was acting. Like he had lost all of it. Yeah. Well, not all of it, but like five or. And also his, five. and also, and also, you know, the his character, great example of just because you're well educated doesn't mean you're smart. Yeah. Like he just ran off into the jungle. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Aaron always ties in these Call of Cthulhu scenarios, but this is this. You can't blame this on anything other than Aaron. Aaron literally chose his path. Like mm-hmm. he did not. Nobody. Everyone's like telling, "No, don't do that." And and you like, inter- in, and you instituted a new kind of game that I just love, which you, I believe you called the race to zero sanity. <laughs> yeah. We, I posted this on the Facebook group, but the, the idea is we had a break in the game and I started talking like an Aaron's like, well, Chuck, we've got a very good game of race to zero sanity. Aaron's up ahead. But yeah, I think, uh, the, do you think the other players can do it? The other players it's, like, it's like, well, like, well, of course, Jim, I think the big bad's about to show up. So I think we should be seeing some great action here. And there he comes and Oh, look at that. <laughs> Total upset. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was a fun game, and um, I mean the thing is, I it was an abysmal failure to me as a story. Yeah, but as a fun game, apparently I, I think it was an abysmal failure as a story. I mean, just because it didn't, it go wasn't through. ready. No, it was ready. Like that's the thing, Tom. I mean, that's what playtesting is all about, mm. and you really have to just throw it out there and see how it meets. Because if you if you keep trying to write stuff, and you, you, the only way you make games better, you write games is you actually have to run mm. them. You, you that's just it was ready. Mm-hmm. Now you didn't get the result you wanted, but that's again that's a brilliance of gaming. Mm-hmm. Like like we just talked about with the Flowers for Algernon mm-hmm. story. The GM didn't. Sometimes it pans out and you get Flowers for Algernon. Sometimes you get Aaron running into the jungle and that thing that I did that you didn't mm-hmm. expect. So you know that's just well that, everyone everyone said they had a, it was a great time. Yeah, no, it was great. I love those kind of games where you can cut loose and you don't have to play like a normal person. Well, a I, sane I, I, I've taken a lot of lessons from it, so yeah. I think this next run is going to be even better. And don't be, yeah, that's the thing. You don't have to be so anxious about running new scenarios if untested material. That's the well, whole I'm not, point. Yeah. of this. Is well, that's why. Get I, well, that's there. why I did it because yeah. I knew I had this group. You just got to get throw it out there and see how it happens. But it was, it's insane, and we break down laughing so many times. Yeah. And I just think it's not ready, but as Ross says, no, it's ready. It you just got, you gotta stop doing that. You, gotta, you always do that with your scenarios. It's like it's not ready. It's not, ah. and then you know you just go out there, like Divine Fire. You know you, you're very kind of worried about it at the beginning, but then you know, and the first time, no, no, I'm confident now. Yeah, because you know the first Divine Fire, you were. German, I'm just talking about. Well, remember, you were you were German soldiers. Yes. Yeah. And then I realized, no, you, uh, you, using the help of the group, like, no, it would be better if you were prisoners. Exactly. That's the whole process. So you don't, that's, uh, so I think it was, it's better to just come up with an idea, write it, and then throw it out there quickly so you can fine tune mm-hmm. it rather than spend too, like, you can spend, you, you could definitely fall in the trap of trying to spend too long writing the first draft of scenario before it ever play does it. And then, you know, and then just waste a lot of time, you know, or energy mm-hmm. by doing that. You know, you just get it, get an idea and see how it meets the players. I mean, that was totally perfect. That was a perfect for a first draft mm-hmm. scenario. Uh, so now you've got the valuable feedback, and now you can really fine-tune it and make it you know, a perfect scenario or a con scenario. I don't think we've actually done that. Then you know, a, one, a run of a rough draft, and yeah. then the next week doing the, revi- the revised Not next week, but I mean Divine Fire, you ran three and times. I'm talking about this one, this one. Yeah. I don't think we've actually done that close together. No, I, I don't remember what the time. So between I, the I first think it might be interesting. I think it's going to be interesting this yeah, Friday. Yeah, sure. No, it'll be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look forward to it. Okay. So uh, I do. I do want to give a little update on the Iron Heroes campaign, Aaron. So mm-hmm. the, the they had a boss fight this time, and the boss fight was the players had to ambush this. Uh, had to deal. They they're following this army. That's the main plot of the campaign, and they know the army is going to get ambushed by the enemy. Obviously, at a at a choke point. You know, the enemy was going to wait for until they get across the river and then just pounce on them and drive them into the river. And Essentially was, what happened at the Battle of Sterling Bridge. 
exactly. between the Scots and the English. Exactly. And so they need to uh, – and the, the key to that is they're going to have these big iron steampunk war machines. If you've read the comic Wolfskin in the 100th hundred, mm-hmm. Dream, it's those things. So okay. – uh, they have these big three scary uh, – and so the players have to go sabotage those war machines. If they do that, then they can the, – the ambushers won't be able to hold the front and won't be able to push them into the river. And so two of them are inactive. They can just go up and sabotage. But one of them, when they get there, is on maneuvers. It's being tested out. There's there's people piloting it. So I basically treat it as the big iron golem thing. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a monster in the Iron Heroes Beastie area that called the Iron Devil, and that's what I use for the stats basically. And so the players, they they a couple of them sneak up to sabotage it or disguise themselves as slaves to do it, and uh, they get close. They start the fight. Uh, they set one of the legs, uh, one of the the active mon- uh, the active war machine's legs are covered in pitch and then set on fire. So it's stomping around. Its legs are burning up, but it's fucking iron. So it's not Mm -hmm. doing a whole lot of damage. It's doing some, but it's not doing a whole lot. Uh, But it's taking away every round. And so the fight's going on, but Aaron is just, he just keeps getting stuck with arrows and just getting beaten up. Like there's this guy with a crowbar just beating his character up and he cannot make it. <laughs> the, these are like, it's the dog punching incident again. I, I, no, because the guy was hitting, he was just beating the, two or three guys were beat, beat the hell out of Aaron. He actually got down to zero hit points. Somebody had to heal, use first aid to heal him or healing skill to heal him up, to, to get him out, to finish the fight. Uh, so it was a great fight. Uh, the, the players all loved it. It was, it was just the right amount of balance mm-hmm. uh, for a fight. Uh, they just, we're cursing at me because like, God damn it, Ross is so Why are you making it difficult? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Aaron, yeah, so uh He's I'll, a trooper. Yeah, everyone else was scared to death of the, the scary war machine. So uh yeah, that that that's your Fantastic. update on that. And uh, I think that kind of ends us up for RPPR episode eighty, a good clean fight. And uh, that's what we want. This is Ross Payton and, and I'm Tom Church. And we'll see you guys next Laters. time. Later's